Good morning, everybody, and welcome to those online. As Brian said, thanks for being here, whether you're here in person or online. It's it's our honor and privilege to host you uh, for this Christmas service. We are. My name is Paul Stiver. I'm one of the elders here at Hope Lower Town, uh, and it's it is my joy to preach today. We are currently in week two of our uh, sermon series, going through some famous Christmas carols, and today we're going to be. Oh, that's Bruce Willis. Today we're going to be looking at, oh, come all ye faithful. But the big question we have to answer today, one of them, not the big one, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Is that, okay, no comments from the crowd, please. Uh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? That's the big question. This is a picture of Bruce Willis climbing through the vent there. And I, I ran a poll, I, I did a couple different surveys online, and the majority, the overwhelming majority of people say, Yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. There's now Bruce Willis with a Photoshop Santa hat on. Uh, and and I, I want to talk about it just by way of, of introduction, just because all Christmas movies have some element of redemption, some element of hope, some element of belief, of goodwill. And so for the answer, is it a Christmas movie? Maybe let's look to the true Christmas story. And so today's sermon is just titled, Come to the True King. As we look at the season of Christmas and we look at the true king coming into the world, as we just sang about, come to the true king. So let's look at um, our passage. We're going to be looking at Luke 2. But the way we're going to go about this is we're actually going to go through the hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful, today. And we're going to just walk through this hymn. We'll sing it later and unpack it and unpack what do these lyrics mean? When we sing these carols and these hymns, there's, there's scriptures that back what then the authors wrote, the poetry and the verse that they wrote is, is founded on scripture. So we're going to look at some scriptures that might explain that for us today. But we'll start just in part one. There's three stanzas. It's kind of nice. Um, for our version, there's three stanzas. And so we're just going to go three parts. And the first one is, O come all ye faithful, part one. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And so let's look at that Luke passage, that beautiful Christmas story, and just read that together. So it says, In those days, from Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn. A son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is a beautiful, ancient text, our Bible, God's word. And we get this picture of of the Messiah's birth, the true king being born. And this is a picture of Marley and Marley approaching uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, if you guys are familiar with the Muppet version of the Christmas Carol, one of my favorites. And here's Stadler and Waldorf, I think are their names. And they're Marley and Marley. They're in chains now because they've died and gone on. And Scrooge, they come to him and warn him. They offer this warning and then they sing my favorite song. We're Marley and Marley. Anyway, I have to do it because I love it. Uh, Sorry, you guys had to experience that, but here we are. Uh, And so they're in chains and they're warning him. And and he's going to learn kind of the true meaning of Christmas. But, But this is my maybe even more favorite. Here's Linus, a picture of Linus from Charlie Brown. And if you're familiar with Charlie Brown, this is big. Why? Because Linus drops the blanket. He drops his blanket because Charlie Brown is asking, what is the real meaning of Christmas? I don't know it. What is the real meaning? Is it consumerism? Is it just goodwill? What is it? And Linus drops his blanket and tells him this. And he concludes, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Linus tells us this is the true meaning of Christmas. Good news is coming. Great joy for all the people. In the town of David, a Savior. He is the Messiah or the, the Christ, the King of God. He is the Lord, the ruler. And we saw even earlier in the Luke passage, this idea that that they tell us, Luke tells us specifically that Joseph is in the line of David. Jesus' earthly father is in the line of David. Why is that important? And why is it here again in the town of David, Bethlehem, born in the city of David, born in the lineage of David? Why is that important? So for that, we go back to the Old Testament. And we go to this passage, which is, is called the Davidic Covenant. We get these covenants between God and man throughout the scriptures, where God is entering into a relationship with his people. And he's already been in a relationship with David. David is described as a man after God's own heart. He's a king. He certainly is a, is a good ruler in some ways and, and a flawed ruler in many others. And, and so he's not quite the guy, but he's sitting there. And in the context, he's saying, I want to build a house for the Lord. I want to build a temple where the Lord can dwell more permanently. 
And God, through the prophet Nathan, says to him this. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so God is is saying these words through the prophet Nathan approximately 550 years before the Luke passage we just read took place where Jesus is born. And he's saying this because even the kings of Israel, God's chosen people, can't quite figure out how to be in relationship with God. Like Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown laments in the the Christmas, in his movie, that everything he touches turns to disaster. And like Charlie Brown, Israel and their kings, everything they touch turns to disaster. And if we look at the story of the Bible, that's true of us. That we can't forge a relationship with God apart from his help. And so God gives this promise. And 550 years later, Luke is telling us when Jesus was born, this promise was fulfilled. The true king has come. This king we were looking for, this king who is going to have a throne established forever, has arrived. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ, this baby in a manger. Which leads us to part two. So the second stanza says, Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Oh, sing, all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Oh, come. Let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And so we get that from our passage. Again, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. We see that in our hymn and our carol, O come all ye faithful, is rooted in the scriptures. This this term for a great company of the heavenly host can also be translated a multitude. And so we think about what did this scene look like? What did this sky look like at night? Ken Hughes helps us here in his, his commentary, Luke, that you may know the truth. He says, and I like this, a multitude refers not to 50, to not 150, not 1,500, but heavenly host beyond count. And he argues, I think every one of God's angels was there because this was the most amazing event that had ever happened in the entire universe. I think the heavenly host stretched from horizon to horizon, obscuring the winter constellations. Why? Why would all of the angels be at this one place giving glory to God? Because God entered into the story. Because God was born in a manger, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so 
This vision of the, the angels praising God, giving glory to God, calls to mind a different vision of angels praising God in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 6, this vision that the prophet Isaiah has, it says here, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. So he's having this vision of God. And it says, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So we get this image of of God's space where he's ruling and these angels are just praising his holiness and they shout that the whole earth is full of his glory, which it is. But the reality is people don't acknowledge the glory of the Lord, which is why we have the true king in a manger. That God's space is going to come into the world, a world that rejects him and denies him and resists him He's going to enter in as this infant coming in humble circumstances. The Isaiah passage continues. Isaiah says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah sees the holiness of the Lord, we see this elsewhere with Peter in the New Testament. His first thought is, Get away, help me, I'm unclean. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah was confronted with the holiness of God. He saw himself as unclean and he saw his need for atonement. At one, he needed to be restored to God because his, his speech was unclean. And it's the same for us. Our speech can be, as Jesus says in the New Testament, it comes out of our hearts, it overflows, and it can be pollution in the air from the overflow of our hearts. And so why is that? Because we praise created things and not the creator. We give our worship to other things in life, not God and his glory. So our sin taints our speech and twists our praise. There's actually a really good quote by an agnostic author who's since passed away, unfortunately. His name was uh, David Foster Wallace. And I use this quote because he really nails what I'm trying to get at here. When we talk about false worship, he says, because there's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing, he argues, as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And he goes on to give some examples. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we know this stuff already. 
So we do this, though. We worship all kinds of different things except God. We worship ourselves. We could plug anything in here. We worship our comfort, our control, our success, maybe political power, political figures. We worship money and materialism. That's how I'm going to be okay in life. We worship others. We worship our own self-sufficiency. When's the last time that you failed at something and felt absolutely horrible about yourself? We might worship the throne of personal liberty. There's so many things that we can give our hearts away to, give our praise away to. And like Isaiah, we need atonement. When we give our worship to false gods and not the true king, we need atonement. Because we're putting ourselves in chains like Marley and Marley, whose hearts of greed led them to worship money and power. We need atonement. Isaiah 6 again says in verse 7, when it, with it, with this coal, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from, or taken away, and your sin atoned for. But we need someone to deal with our sin. This is one of the key realities of the Christmas story and the author writing himself into the story. The author of life being born in a manger one of the big takeaways is we can't solve this on our own. We need divine intervention, and we get that. Hebrews chapter 2, 9 through 11 says this now, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So it's not a coal that we need, it's the God-man. It's the Lord Jesus Christ we need and his atoning death to take away our guilt and our sin. And when he does that, and we put our faith in him, he turns our speech from pollution to praise. He changes us by his life, death, and resurrection. We become holy. We enter into true life. We have joy. We have triumph. And so to go back to our question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I'm not actually going to answer it. I'm going to leave it ambiguous so you can decide. But what we can say is this. Die Hard may or may not be a Christmas movie, but it's not the true Christmas story. Because in the true Christmas story, the hero dies at the end to set the villains free. Sinners like you and me are vindicated because of Jesus and his death on the cross. And his resurrection is his vindication. That means he's brought joy and triumph. Andrew mentioned it in his prayer. He's made the pathway to God available for us. So how do we gain access then? If the pathway is open to a reconciled relationship to God, to my heart being turned from, from death and worship of things that lead to death, where do I go? And so we get to part three then. O come, all ye faithful, part three. Yea, Lord, we greet thee. 
Born this happy morning, Jesus, to thee all glory be given, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. It becomes precious to us as we, as we look at this answer of how can we receive this vindication. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament says in Galatians chapter 4, he gives us this picture. What has taken place? What is the great cosmic story? It's, he says this, But when the set time had come, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The way to be right with God is to believe in Jesus. So we've got to, we've got to say, come to the true king. Come to the true king. That's the way to get access to God. It's through faith in Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. And this is not something we can do on our own. That's what the Christmas story is telling us. Ephesians chapter 2, again from the Apostle Paul, spells it out this way. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. So we see here, it's grace. The reason that we're saved or can be saved is God's grace to us. And it's actually the faith in this passage in verse 8 that I would argue the faith is the gift. The ability to see my need, the ability to see God in his holiness and my need for atonement, my need for him to turn me from worshiping the things of this world to worshiping the creator of this world. And what happens when that happens, as Paul says, when we do that as justification by faith, believing in the name of Jesus, it's not by works so that no one can boast. Because if I earn my way to God, I've got something to say to all of you. Why aren't you doing it? Guess I'm better than you. That's a boast. But when God justifies us by faith, through his grace, it takes all the boasting out of my mouth and turns it all to praise in Jesus and what he's done. And so I, I do need to go after this institution. <laughs> Last week, Brian uh, preached and, and kind of went after the nativity scene. And this week, I'm going after Elf on a Shelf. So we're just, apparently we just want to destroy all the Christmas joy here, but bear with me here. So this is Elf on a Shelf. If you're not familiar with it, I actually had to look it up. I feel like I hear it all the time, but I, I didn't experience it. I don't know it. Um, if you are someone that does Elf on the Shelf in your family, sorry, uh, not sorry, I'm going to go after it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, But I promise I'll explain. So I, just to, for background, what is Elf on a Shelf? So it's, it's during the Christmas season, you, you bring home this book and you bring home this elf, maybe you name it, uh, and the elf is sent by Santa. You read a story to your kids and the, and the story outlines moral behaviors, good and bad things. Your kids could do these good things, they could do these bad things. And, and, and what to expect so that they act nice in the season of Christmas and not naughty. 
And so the purpose of the elf is to observe your children's behavior and, and each day report back to Santa whether you were naughty that day or nice that day. And so they, and there actually is like these report cards, official elf report, naughty, nice, you've been spotted being nice. Here's some observations. So the elf observes your children's behavior and, and makes sure their behavior is aligned with the story. If they're good, they're on the nice list. If they're bad, they go on the naughty list. And so they give the report to Santa and then the child knows that Santa's received the report when the next morning they wake up and the elf is in a different place. And so what I'm arguing is that the elf on a shelf idea is in contention with the teachings of Jesus, with this gospel of grace. We do have this, this list of moral behaviors in the Bible. It's called the law. And as Galatians showed us, Christ came to redeem us from being under the law. The storyline of the Bible makes it clear that we are unable to keep these laws. We're flawed, sinful creatures who rebel and reject God and give our praise to idols or false gods. And we need to be set free from being under that law. We need a savior. And this is where Jesus comes in. This is the uniqueness of Christianity. And the gospel of grace. Grace just means unmerited favor. You've blessed me when I deserved it the least. And this is what makes Christianity different from religion and and trying to earn your way to God through good works. And this is also what makes Christianity different from irreligion and just rejecting God. Religion says, obey and God will accept you. Irreligion says, find yourself, express yourself, and you'll find true freedom. You've just got to tap into who you are. But grace says, God accepts you because of Christ, and then that's when you respond in obedience. You couldn't obey enough to save yourself. Grace also frees us from looking to ourselves and self-expression for salvation, because at the core, we're sinners incapable of saving ourselves. And if we're being honest, we can actually admit it. I remember being an atheist and being desperate, every Sunday, desperate to change. I don't want this week to be like last week. I want to be a better person. And on Monday, waking up the same person, broken, miserable, The grace of Christianity means that we reject the moralistic idea as well that God is just constantly watching over us, waiting for us to slip up, waiting for us to fail, waiting so that he can expose us and heap shame on us. God sending his son means we can never do enough good to tip the scales in our favor and outweigh our evil. Jesus needs to die for us on a cross. We need his divine intervention. That's the beauty of the Christmas story is that he does it. Jesus dies for us on the cross because God doesn't have a naughty, nice list. He doesn't. God keeps an in Christ, not in Christ list. You are either in Christ through your faith in him or you're not because you don't believe in him. But the beauty of it is, you can. See, God justifies those on the naughty list, which is all of us, by faith. So that means that the elf on the shelf report card that goes back to God is the righteousness of Christ. 
because I'm united to Jesus by faith, when the elf reports back to God, God sees his son and I'm accepted. Not by my works and my good deeds, but because I believed in Jesus, the only one who ever did the good works and the good deeds. This is the great exchange of the gospel that I can put my sins on him on the cross and receive his righteousness. And this is something that neither religion by works nor faithlessness can offer. When we put our faith in Jesus, we receive his resurrection life and his righteousness. We call this justification by faith alone. When we are in Christ by faith, God sees us as his son, as his children. And he delights in us as a parent does watching their newborn walk for the first time. He doesn't hover over us waiting for us to fail. He rejoices at our growth because we are in his son. He has made us his own, adopting us to himself through the blood of Jesus. So we go back to our verse because this is grace. That God saves sinners and God changes sinners to be righteous. He does this as a gift to us. The faith that awakens is a gift. And the reality is you can't earn a gift. We can't earn a gift. Gifts are just given. We have to receive them. We have to have the open hands of faith. We simply have to realize our need and accept help, accept his grace, accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. And miraculously through our faith and through the working of the Holy Spirit, God takes us, the naughty people like us, the sinners who seemingly were beyond redemption, and turns us into beautiful reflections of his son Jesus, the perfect one. And so this is the Christmas story of the true king. We see a child in a manger who will be perfect and yet die a bloody death on a Roman cross, shameful, in our place. But his death is actually where he cements his worthiness to be the true king. His death and conquering of death by walking out of the grave in his resurrection, his willingness to go to the cross, these are the things that show that he is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of our faith, and worthy of our submission to him as Lord and Savior. And his death is also the crucifixion of our misguided belief that we can save ourselves. Or that by our own good behavior, we could be right with God. No, we need a Savior. And Christmas teaches us that the Savior has come. So come, all ye faithful, come to the true King. Repent of your sins, turn from your false worship, and believe in Jesus. Faith is simply an acknowledgement of need. It is an agreement with what God says about us. We are sinners, helpless to change without his grace, but he has intervened. He has made the way of salvation open to us. Life to the full is open to us through this baby in a manger who becomes a man on a cross. And the true king then, in his resurrection, assumes the throne of the universe. So all God is asking of us in this Christmas season to be right with him forever is to just believe in the name of the one he sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we believe, then we are united to him in his resurrection life forever. It doesn't get better than this. 
We receive his righteousness. We receive his Holy Spirit. We are beloved, accepted, justified, adopted. And we start to see real change in our lives, lasting, transformative change in our lives as we live in righteousness and in the world as we live out our righteousness. And we live as people who have the promise of hope that one day our joy will be full like a tea kettle that's heating up. One day it's going to whistle. And one day we're going to see him face to face and we're going to just sing his praises because of what he's done. But we can't do that on our own and we won't find it anywhere else in the world. Don't look anywhere else for life this Christmas season. Lift your voice in praise to the true king. And so just for gospel application, for taking what we've looked at and and trying to apply it to our lives, the first question is, have you come to the true king? It was a Christmas uh, season when I first started seeking as an adult, looking for answers beyond just the pain and the misery that I mentioned before. And it really was the Christmas season that started tilling the soil of my heart and preparing me to receive Jesus, which I did later in the spring. Maybe that's your story today. Or maybe you won't wait as long as I will. And you'll put your faith in Jesus today. But have you come to the true king? And if you have, if you are someone that said, no, I I have, I see his beauty. Then today, just give your praise to the king. And in this season, give your praise to the king. Look at your life and say, what are those things that steal my love and worship of the Lord? And how can I repent of those? How can I take steps to put those out of my life? And always remember that he's given us his Holy Spirit. We don't just buckle down and do it in our own strength and say, I'm going to overcome. We lean into the divine power of God that dwells in us, which we have received through our faith. So give your praise to the true King this Christmas season. We're going to move into a time of communion. And so during communion, we've got the, uh, it's in the back if you need to go grab one. We've got the, the, the body and the blood symbolically represented. And these represent the body and the blood of Jesus, the body broken for us, the blood shed for us that by those and our faith in those things, not in the communion elements themselves, but our faith in Jesus and who they represent that we can be right with God forever. And so we take this communion as a family of believers, saying we are in this together because we share our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we only ask that you would be, you don't need to be a member of this church or any church. We only ask that you would be a follower of Jesus, someone who says, yes, I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then please joyfully take communion with us. We're going to sing some songs and just reflect on The fact that God has come, the author of the story, has written himself into the story and died for us on a cross so that we might now put our faith in him and start walking in true life. Let me pray for us and then we'll move to a time of worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this Christmas season. And the fact that despite our rebellion and our rejection of you, you didn't give up on us and you didn't leave us over to our sin. You sent your son to redeem us by dying for us on a cross, by giving his life. You entered into the story 
and you paid the ultimate price. You, the hero, died on a cross so that we, the villains, could be set free. So I pray that for those watching online and for us in here, would you draw our hearts to praise of you as we sing these songs, as we reflect on the communion? Would we give you glory not only today, but in the Christmas season as well? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.